So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets, welcome back to another awesome episode of Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. This is Tom Seco, uh, financial advisor and also co-host of Smarter Vet Financial Podcast and one of the owners of Florida Veterinary Advisors. And today I've got a somewhat new friend and at the same time a, a friend from across the other side of the world, which I think is awesome because it's uh, I just love the accents over there. It's amazing. And we're going to be talking a lot about imposter syndrome today and a little bit about how her journey of where she started and where she's at now and how she's changing the veterinary community one person at a time. And before we jump into that, I do want to make mention to if you are a person that's, hey, you feel like you've been settling in your finances, you're not sure where to go the next step, make sure to go check out our website where we put a complimentary five-part video series. They're 20 minutes a piece. You can go on there, watch them in whatever order you want, and it'll give you five foundational steps to be able to get the financial balance. So go check it out at series.flvetadvisors.com. And of course, it's always in the description below. So without any further ado in this, I want to introduce Dr. Katie Ford. She is a veterinarian, a speaker, a coach, a bunch of other awesome things. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this today. And I, I want to thank you for coming on the show with me today, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. I shall do my best to have my best British accent to satisfy <laughs> all my friends across the pond that are also fellow accents uh, appreciators, Tom. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And yeah, my wife is always talking to me because we've been, we were over in the UK for a little while ourselves and she's like, oh, can we move there for like a couple of years so I can pick up the accent and then we can come back? And I'm like, well, I'll consider it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I'm sure there's some people that are listening to this and they've heard about you. They've seen you at some point or another. And then there's some that are not even sure who you are. And I love for the listeners and the people that are here today to be able to get to know you more. So if you could give us a little background on, you know, when did you start working as a veterinarian? Where did you go to school? Like all those other fun things. I'd be interested to know more about that. Absolutely. So like many people that are listening, I wanted to be a veterinary surgeon from age five or six. It was always a, a lifelong ambition. And I ended up feeling very lucky and very fortunate to be able to fulfill that. And I went to vet school between 2007 and 2012 at the University of Liverpool in the United Kingdom. Cool, and in, yeah, I know you're a Liverpool fan as well, Tom. <laughs> And I loved it there. But at the same time, going through vet school, I'd gone from being a very high achiever in college, in high school, to feeling like I was almost distinctly average. Everybody was smart at that point. And I started to get some undertones of, I'm just coasting through this. You know, I'm just getting lucky. I'd always feel like I was discounting the reasons why I'd passed whichever exam. But, you know, I did it and I got out and into the professional world from there. I started just to feel like I didn't belong there, like I was a big fraud, like everybody was going to eventually realize that I didn't really know what I was doing. And there was a logical, rational part of me that thought, you do, like you've got the degree, you've done everything that you should be doing, you're getting good case outcomes. But at the same time, I just started to get this little bit of a, an earworm, as it were, just wiggling its way in saying, you need to start doing things on your own. You need to stop asking for help your boss is going to think you don't know what you're doing. And this ended up fast forwarding probably three or four years where 
externally, I had a lot of success. So I was working in small animal first opinion practice. I had a very loyal fan base, as it were. I had a lot of clients that wanted to see me. I was speaking at client evenings. I was speaking on the radio. I was a confident vet from the outside. But mm -hmm. internally, I really felt like I was on a very high, very wobbly pedestal that I didn't know enough. I wasn't achieving enough. And I ended up going and doing an extra certification in internal medicine, thinking, okay, when I've got this, then I'm going to feel like I know enough. I'm going to feel successful enough. And the biggest frustration probably came from actually realizing not a lot changed for me with those extra letters. And I was getting to the point of, well, what else do I do? Because back then nobody was talking. Nobody was saying, oh, we all have doubts. Sometimes we all think we don't deserve to be there. Take a look at the expectations that you're putting on yourself, Katie. You're asking yourself to know what to do in every single case, 100% perfect, knowing what's going on the minute that they walk through the door without having tests or anything. And I was very much being defined by my failures at that point, rather than being defined by any of the successes. It was almost like the weighting of a success was minuscule and I could have 10,000 of them yet still not own them versus one tiny mistake, one tiny failure. And it's I felt like that was evidence. It's interesting when you say that too, because there's actually a lot of studies that say that for every negative experience, you need, I think it's like four or five or six or so many positive experiences to counterbalance that. So like, if you have like just one extra negative experience and all of a sudden it's like everything else, it kind of gets put to the wayside. Absolutely. And I mean, certainly as human beings, we've been shown to have a negativity bias as well, which at its core was to try and keep us safe, but actually has meant that our brains aren't often that good at scanning a situation when we'd got that from our ancestors of, okay, look for threats on the horizon, make sure we stay safe, that saber-toothed tigers and predators don't get us. With our belief systems that we formed over the years of what defines a success, what defines a failure, competing, comparing, fitting in, quite often our subconscious has scanned the situation and given us lots of thoughts to make us feel like, oh, you don't deserve this, you're a fraud, it's true, you're, you're not a good vet, you're not, you don't know what you're doing. And actually, I was buying in and listening to every thought and believing it because nobody had ever told me otherwise. And equally, like I said, nobody was talking. And that actually, a very long story short, because we, we don't have all day because I could uh, probably make this story last for hours, but <laughs> I ended up accidentally becoming an influencer in this space, Tom, because I just started sharing this. When I'd gone through a tough time, I ended up ultimately worrying about cases all night, overworking, trying to make sure mistakes never happened. And it wasn't that I needed to control the external world anymore. I needed to look internally, remember my value, remember that I didn't have to believe everything that I thought, remember that I wasn't defined by the number of letters after my name, all by my case outcomes, and to be a bit more self-compassionate. And through therapy, through coaching, through lots mm. of extra training, I realized that things could look totally different and I right. could enjoy going to work again. And that's what sparked me to start posting about it on social media. You'll find me on there as Katie Ford Fett. I think there's about 13,000 people on Instagram now, which is amazing to that's me. Cool. But that, yeah, it is. It was just seeded by me saying, look, when I used to go into work, I had a certificate, I had a loyal client base, I had a fantastic boss, I had brilliant colleagues, I had a brand new car, I had a brand new house, but none of these things gave me happiness and none of these things made me feel any less of a fraud. I had this little negative voice that came along and said, you've missed this, you've missed that. And hey, I'm just letting you know, if any of you have this out there as well, you're not alone and you don't have to believe it. And Tom, I ended up with so many messages from people saying, thank you. Because 
when I was right at the beginning of my journey, when I first qualified nine years ago, I thought everybody else had things sorted. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that even just having this conversation with you today, because since we, we spent a lot of time working with people in the United States, that, you know, it, it doesn't just apply to people in the United States, like this is across the entire world. And, you know, the fact that you're bringing light to this and spending time in your world, being able to do this, it's like, you know, it's, it's okay to feel in a certain way about it, I would imagine. And at the same time that you should probably be not letting that kind of tear you down at the same point or another. And I find it very inspirational how you've taken it to that next level to sit here and say, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm not going to let this beat me up and I'm going to be more of a voice to help influence and be helpful to people that are out there, which is, it's fantastic. I love it. Thank you. And it's so rewarding when I end up with lovely messages that come back to me and people saying, look, I did think I was the only one too. And it's not just a frustrating idea that some of us feel like we might be found out. When you start to really dig into the scientific research behind it, imposter syndrome has been linked to burnout, to reduce job satisfaction. Mm. It's been noted to be comorbid with things like anxiety and depression. And that's what it it did progress to for me, because you can imagine when we sit and think logically about it, if you are convinced that somebody is going to find you out as a fraud chronically for years, your body is going to be experiencing anxiety because you're worried that somebody's going to come along on a daily basis. So one of the real reasons that I talk about it so much is to say, yes, feeling like an imposter and imposter thoughts are really common. Yes, you don't have to believe them, but if you are really struggling, reach out and talk about it, whether that's that you go in and you're talking to a therapist and they're helping you understand thoughts and feelings and the fact that you don't have to believe all those negative thoughts, you didn't choose them, you are the listener, you are not the thoughts. Or you go to a coach if you're progressing with something and imposter syndrome, like as a heads up, comes along at times of growth quite frequently because we've got a set of beliefs about what we think we're capable of, what success looks like and what failure looks like. And as you step out of those comfort zones, it shouts a bit louder saying, well, success is only if you do it quickly and easily and it's taking you a bit longer so you don't really deserve to be here. Or it says people that, I don't know, are entrepreneurs or are clinic owners, they look like this and that's not you, so you're a fraud. And we've got all these things that we think are true because they've been repeated to us at some point that then becomes the filter that we see the world in. And having a coach or having a mentor or someone there just to help you with that and kind of hold your hand and give you that support as you move forward and help you question some of those limiting beliefs and tear them down as you move forward is really valuable. So anyone listening that does feel this way, I mean, there's lots of things that you can do. We've not got a huge amount of time, but you can do those on your own. But if this is something that really is affecting you on a daily basis, as it did for me, because I've been there and I've sat with it and I hear you and I understand it's uncomfortable, reach out to somebody, talk about it, because mm. there are things that can help you see it differently and feel better too. Yeah. I, well, it's, I think the biggest thing that really beats a lot of people up, I would say personally myself, is when I spend too much time in my head and I don't talk to people or get out there. And I notice the days where even when I'm working and I'm working and I get to the part where I'm not talking to a lot of people and I have to work harder to stay in a positive state of mind at times. But when I'm talking to people, it seems like I just, I pull myself right out of it really fast. And I know today I've been like, meeting after meeting and talking to people. And I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm on, you know, cloud nine. So it's like a whole different uh, feeling. So I, I'm really curious to know 
do you think that the nature of like, I notice a lot of veterinarians tend to be a lot of them have in their core behavior, who they are just like being perfectionist. Yeah. I think that's like, I, would you say that would kind of contribute a little bit to that? Definitely. So back in the the 80s or early 90s, a lady called Valerie Young actually made five different types of imposter syndrome. She did a lot of work with people that experience it and grouped it into five different types. And these aren't types for people to label themselves with, but they're just different ways to understand the ways that different people are going to experience it Mm -hmm. and realizing that actually it comes from a seat of like with perfectionism, we want to do a good job, but it goes to an extreme. And the perfectionist is one of those five types. Now, I always explain when I do my lectures and presentations, look, do go and look up the five types, but don't use that as an identity. Because suddenly if you say, I am a perfectionist, that's all that we see. And we kind of, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But Mm. yes, having that amount of perfectionism just contributes to it because essentially then we are putting false expectations on ourselves, which stop us internalizing those wins. And it does mean that we become defined by the failures because we look at the one point out of 100 that was dropped rather than the 99 that were gained as well. So actually understanding perfectionism and looking at the fact that, yes, I want to do a good job and that's the driver behind this, but being self-compassionate enough to step back and say, if this was my friend or colleague, what would I say to them? And start saying that to ourselves. And at first, yes, that's going to feel uncomfortable and it's going to feel unnatural because we believe things that have been repeated to us again and again and again. Like we believe that our name is our name because we've had it for however many years told to us. (laughs) And the same goes with if we're constantly like, oh, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. At first, when we start saying, no, I am enough, I'm not defined by all these external things. I, at my core, I'm I'm enough, I'm a valuable person. That narrative's gonna jump in and say, no, you're not, here's a load of evidence. But Mm -hmm. the thing we've got to remember about our brain is, essentially what the thinker thinks the prover proves because we've got a reticular activating system that whatever we have spent a lot of conscious attention on our brain our subconscious will then seek to show us more evidence for that so the the classic example from personal development is you're looking for a certain type of a car if you decide that you're going to buy a ford mustang and that's all that you're looking at online on the internet on facebook marketplace on all the the auto trading websites (laughs) then you're going to feel like you're seeing those everywhere And actually, it's not that there's more of them. It's just that your subconscious has said, this is important. We've spent a lot of time thinking about this. The same thing goes for reasons why we're a fraud, mistakes, looking for perfection. We're kind of just hypervigilant for things that mean that we're not at perfection. And sometimes it's just realigning those expectations of saying, look, I'm not looking for perfect. I know that I can't practice veterinary medicine perfectly because animals don't um, read the textbook at the end of the day. But we can always choose to practice it with kindness, with compassion, with enthusiasm. And that was a game changer for me. I think it was a, an Andy Rock quote where he said, I've decided that I can't practice veterinary medicine perfectly, but I can't always practice it with compassion. And that was a, a moment where I just thought, yes, that's where I've been going wrong in the yeah. midst of this. I've been trying to do it perfectly rather than actually saying, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be empathetic. I'm going to be enthusiastic and I'm going to include myself in that too. Yeah. I'm curious from, you know, being at the part of where, when you got out of school, you started uh, practicing as a veterinarian. At what point did you really experience imposter syndrome? Was it while you were in school? Was it while you were getting out of school? When was that? 
The worst for me probably would be between about three months post-graduating. So about three months into my first job, those first three months, I did kind of forgive myself a little bit of saying, you're new, you're not going to know everything. This yeah. is okay. From that point, likely until about four, four and a half years out of vet school. So there was a good four years where I, where I was experiencing that. And I was constantly trying to rearrange external things to make me feel better getting the certificate there was always the next thing I felt like I was on this treadmill of it's yeah. gonna be okay when well so like how did that impact you during that four years do you think it kind of held you back did you were you able to push through and be able to really grow further from it or is it like one day all of a sudden you just kind of snapped out of it and did a 180 and then you're like all right I'm not gonna let this be me anymore like I'm not gonna let this happen it certainly did attribute me to achieving lots externally, but I found there was a big disconnect who I thought I was versus this external character of what yeah. everybody else could see. And the, the breaking point for me really was nobody else could see I was struggling with this other than my boss. And all that she could see was that she thought I was brilliant and couldn't understand why I couldn't see it. So she kept just reaffirming, you're brilliant, you're fantastic. I don't know why you can't see that. And then I thought, oh my goodness, why can't I see this? And it just had a very negative detrimental effect on my well-being in general because I was constantly worrying. I was mm. constantly, if I went out for coffee with friends, I was thinking about cases that I'd seen. I was berating myself all the time for things that I thought that I missed. And that's when I ended up reaching out to the doctors and then I ended up with cognitive behavior therapy. And that helped me just start those seeds of realizing, okay, there's a link between our thoughts and our feelings. And actually a lot of these thoughts are automatic. And it's not right. a fault with me because for a long time, I used to think that I could control all the thoughts that were going to pop up. And the subtle difference was I could control whether I wanted to accept or reject a thought, but I couldn't decide which ones were going to come in in the first place because there were so many things that had seeded in my subconscious. And that Tom was really the start of things for me because that led me into being interested in that as a topic, learning more, training as a coach, doing further study in cognitive behavior um, therapy too. But realizing that a lot of people have a negative narrative and actually right. a lot of people still think that that is them. And that's why I, I spend so much time explaining to people that you're not your thoughts, but let's realize that some of those thoughts are going to pop up at certain times and we can understand them a bit better. And right. you're not a fraud for that. Absolutely. It, it actually gets me thinking back about my career and starting and everything. Cause it's the things that you're saying, like I was feeling a lot of those as well. And I, I find it very powerful, like how you actually took that step to actually do something about it. And of course, you've come out on the other side of being now like a coach and a speaker and everything. I know everyone doesn't need to go to that level of what you have. However, just the fact of like anyone who is struggling out there with this, that they at least acknowledge it. And then at the same time, they go to try to do something about it. Definitely. It can change your world. It can. I think the essential thing that I wish that somebody had told me right in my first few weeks of graduating is sometimes you have to advocate yourself. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you need to have all the answers, but it means be aware enough of yourself to say, look, this isn't comfortable. I'm suffering and I'm struggling with this. Who can help me and actually take that step to go and ask for that? And that was what changed things for me because I spent about four years trying to figure it out myself, trying to push it away, trying to suppress it, trying to outprove it. And actually what I really needed to do was just to acknowledge it, be a bit kinder to myself and say, look, actually this isn't comfortable. 
let me go and speak with somebody about it. And for other people, it might be just a little bit more of a niggle and things like just realigning their focus, looking at what their successes were during the day, maybe doing some personal development that might help them. But I know for me, I was very at the extreme end of it. I think probably because it went on for so many years that I did need to get more help with it. But I would absolutely just say to anybody, yeah, reach out, chat to somebody about it, whether that's a coach, if it is a coach and they feel like you need a therapist, they'll redirect you. If it's a therapist, then they can just help you like unpick those thoughts a little bit. None of it means that you're a fraud. Right. Well, so on that note, while we're here, because I, I always agree with like, there are a lot of things that people try to work through themselves. It could be things that they're going through with the imposter syndrome. It could be things around their finances. It could just be things with their relationships and everything. And it's always, you know, some people I believe to a certain degree can work through them themselves, especially if they, they work at it and they become very present and cognizant of it. And then some people it's hard for them to pull themselves out of what is happening because what is happening has become them and they're having a hard time detaching themselves from it. And, you know, being that person, they're like, Hey, you should go find someone to help you guide you through this. That's why, you know, marriage counselors exist. Financial advisors exist. That's why people like coaches like yourself. And I'm curious, like, you know, if people want to come out and they're like, Hey, I love everything that Katie's saying right now. Like, do you usually set up like one-on-one times to speak with people? How do you, how do you help? Absolutely. So I work both one-to-one and interestingly in group coaching with groups of veterinarians, veterinary nurses, techs, because so often I realized I was having very similar conversations with all numbers of vets, nurses, techs, Mm. and you'd be amazed regardless of level of qualification, number of years experience, how recurrent and similar the thoughts are throughout our profession. So if they were interested my website, katiefordvet.com. You can email me, we can book a call in, or I can tell you a little bit more about the group vet program that I do. Because now actually we're seeing fantastic results by getting people in a group. And it helps to just discredit the witness a little bit, as it were, because everybody thinks that they are isolated and having those thoughts because all they see is the external of everybody else where they look like they've got it sorted. But when you're sat with a group of seven or eight other people from the veterinary profession, some of them specialists, some of them new graduates, some of them techs, some of them vets, some of them um, practice managers, and they're all saying the same things. You start to think, how can they think that about themselves? Hang on one second. Maybe it's wrong for me as well. So yeah, I work with people one-to-one and in groups as well. If they do want to have an exploratory call, which is always the first thing that we do, just to jump on and see where they're at. And it's a really informal chat, like, how are you feeling? What's been coming up? And then I help to guide people because a lot of people I speak to, I say, look, actually, I've been there at this point. I did speak to a therapist first. Let me gently redirect you to maybe go and look at that to begin with. And we can reconvene in a few months time or they jump straight on with coaching. Right. That's really cool. So if anyone does want to speak to Katie, definitely make sure to contact her because I I 100% support when you need someone to talk to or just to have a discussion around some things because we can it's amazing the people will sometimes agree with things and at the same time they will look at uh, certain conversations and everything looks like it's great on the exterior I always find it amazing too when I'm walking around and I go to the office and you walk by people and they're like hey how are you good hey how are you good and it's like everyone has that same response 
but then there are people that are dealing with certain mental challenges. Like there's things that they're having to work through and it's, it's incredible. Just the, I don't know if it's sometimes that people are, 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 are scared of it, or maybe if it's more of a, don't know how to start, whatever the case is. Like I encourage whoever is listening to this. And if you are experiencing any of these things, uh, definitely make sure to talk to someone. And I know Katie is a wonderful person to have that conversation with. So uh, I did want to ask you, you know, I, I think there's a lot of great things that we've been talking about here today, Katie, and, you know, something just unrelated to this at all, just to kind of wrap up some of our conversation today. Yeah. Uh, talking about imposter syndrome and everything. What kind of animal would you say that you are if you had to pick one? Oh, this is a good question. You know, I grew up doing an awful lot of dog training way through the years. And I always quite thought that I'd like to be a border collie because I was very energetic and quite quick <laughs> thinking. And I'd always be trying to organize everybody. Probably through lockdown, though, I've probably become more like one of my cats, I imagine. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> there's probably a switch between those two. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's funny because like they both have two different personalities. Like I always find it like dogs always want to attention and everything else. And then cats are kind of like, they want their attention when they want it. <laughs> Definitely. I did a couple of posts on my Instagram recently. One of them was what we can learn about self-care from cats and about the fact that, you know, what everything is on their terms. They sleep a lot of the day. They absolutely don't care what they look like when they're playing, even if they're just having a great time with something ridiculous, they just do it. Yeah. And I was going to do one on dogs as well, because yeah, we know with like mindfulness, you've seen the, the cartoons that people draw where the pet owner is thinking about everything that's gone on through the day and the dog is just thinking about being on the walk. So it's an interesting question because I think there's a lot that we could probably learn from animals as well and looking at their theoretical outlook rather than how busy that our minds become. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate you taking all this time with me today. I think it's been a lot of fun. I hope some people picked up some notes and I, thanks for sharing your, uh, your, your very vulnerable story with us. I think it was very impactful today. Thanks a lot, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, if anybody's listening to this, wants a little bit of help or support, don't be afraid to reach out to me or to anybody else. It will make a big difference. Absolutely. I'll make sure to include information. If you didn't get it earlier for Katie's website, I'll make sure to include it in the description. So just definitely take a look below. Again, if you want to listen to some other episodes or some of the things that we have, go check it out on our podcast. I'll also look at our video series. It's there for you when you want it. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance to make sure to rate and review us, like we'd love to hear what you think. If there's certain topics or stuff you want us to talk on, uh, please let us know. Uh, and for now, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. C.J. Burnett and Tom Seiko are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. C.J. Burnett's and Tom Seiko's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Veneer Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purposes only guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own. Submission number is 2021-01.
125100 expires August 2023.